Hello, and thank you for listening to episode 52 of 60 Minutes With. I'm Dave, and in this interview episode, I'm also going to be joined by Tina. So please sit back, relax, and get comfortable as we spend 60 minutes chatting with Lindsay Drew Honey. Well, first of all, Lindsay, obviously the first thing we've got to do is thank you for joining us tonight and giving us your time, so thank you so much for that. No problem at all. Happy to do it. Uh, I think the best way... We- to start this, because myself and Tina recently we watched um, the Mary Millington story. Yes, which... I went to the premiere with them when Simon had in the in the West End. Yes, fantastic. I thought. What was the premiere like then? How did it go down? It was great, actually. I saw quite a few people that I hadn't seen for ages. Um, it was in Leicester Square. Um, Simon got on stage and gave a little chat first of all, and he was very funny and very good. And um, and then afterwards. They did a question and answer. So there were some of Mary's family in the audience, um, some of the models that knew, because I didn't actually know Mary. I started modeling more or less as she died, um, because I remember my friend Marie Harper. I don't know if you ever remember a model called Marie Harper. Mm, the name no. doesn't jump out to me. But, uh, shortly after um, Mary died, they, they made a film about her, and my friend. Uh, Marie had to play Mary in a coffin, you know, they were doing a bit of a funeral. So she, I, I, I can't remember what, I started modelling in about 78 and I think she died around then. So I did do a film, I did a manual in Soho that she, it was her film, but she wasn't in the scene I was in kind of thing. So I, um, Simon really kind of asked me to sort of talk about the modelling business rather than Mary, I think. Because yeah. Friends and you know, so just my view on, you know, how things went down in the modelling business, I guess. How did you get into modelling? I got into modelling, I was um, in Bristol and I used to work behind the bar at the Bristol City Football Club, they're in the uh, first division then, and um, we decided, I can't remember, I think the promotions manager was quite sort of forward thinking, and he decided to get a bunch of cheerleaders on the team, you know, Bristol City, (laughs) and um, then we got the sun come down because we suddenly we were on the credits of Match of the Day. Um, they just <laughs> sort of filmed it and thought, oh, this looks good, a load of girls dancing around. It was on, uh, And so then the, the son did it as a sort of interest story. And, I, and somebody came down to the football club, I think I was about 18 or 19 then, um, and just gave me a card and said, oh, you know, if you want to do page three or if you're ever in London. And um, so I then went up to London, tried to get myself an agent, which I managed to get. And then it started from there, really. And the Sun and Page Three it was like huge for so many years as well, wasn't it? But I think this generation that's grown up with the internet and that don't realise how big Page Three models were. And I don't, they don't do Page Three anymore. I've seen, I think they just have a girl with the top on in there now, don't they? Yeah. Did they? I didn't know that. Yeah, I think they still do have a Page Three girl, but they're not topless anymore. I think. Mm. Yeah, I think that's um, the way it goes now. But yeah, it used to be huge, and it's. When I was uh, modelling, all the girls that were actually on page three were like uh, so Nina Johnson, uh, no, Nina Carter and Jilly Johnson, um, and they were very small-breasted. And so I was actually a bit big to to, to, um, be in the sun, so I actually did the star quite a few times, but I did manage to get in the sun once, but only once. I wasn't a page three girl regularly, because then they were going for sort of much more petite girls. Then, shortly afterwards, you know, Sam Fox came along, and um, Maria Whitaker, and and that's when the the girls were really busty then. That's one thing I've noticed. 
artist um, looking at um, videos of you on YouTube uh, from your past, like your distant past as well. That yes. what what a lovely figure you've got, and how amazing it is to see you with real boobs. I know. Because no, they nobody. They're all fake boobs now, aren't they? I know everyone's got fake. Everyone's got fake boobs and tattoos now. Yeah, yeah. Know? And I don't know. I I did when I had my son. I thought my boobs go. I might get them done, but they they actually after I had my son, they got a bit bigger. So um, <laughs> I didn't need to bother. So I was quite grateful for that. Just, yeah, you know they don't. Yeah, it's just it's all the fake boobs now. That's just the way. And bigger and bigger and bigger, aren't they? Yeah. You know, they're not. They they they're just unnaturally big now. Yeah. Um, so um, I just I just wear a good padded bra and I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> and let's let's go into. I mean, some of the film appearances that you've done. I mean, they've got so much to talk about as well because. Me and you, Tina, today weren't we? We were looking at different stuff and yeah, um, yeah. American Werewolf in London. The, the famous scene from that as well. See you next Wednesday. Yeah, see you next Wednesday. Do you know what? I, I was given the posters for See You Next Wednesday, um, <laughs> and and I kept, they got lost when I moved. I'm so gutted because if you go on the internet, those posters are going for a fortune. And I had yes. like six. I had, I had them all. Do you want these? Yeah, I'll take them. You know, I don't know what happened to them. Um, so yeah, I just went down to it was Twickenham Film Studios, and I just went down to Twickenham audition but I mean my my son's an actor and he goes for auditions but often that you go and see a casting director but then I went to see John Landis you know so it was um a proper audition in in the director's office um and I don't know how many people he saw but he gave me the job on the day kind of thing um and um and then it was I think because what they did they filmed See You Next Tuesday completely before they'd started filming the main film, so that then they could slot it in exactly where they wanted. So that was filmed just at Twickenham on a day um, before they actually started filming um, that. And I, I went to, because they remastered and did a Blu-ray DVD of it about five years ago, I think, or maybe six years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe seven years ago, and they, they put it on at the Fright Fest down in uh, Leicester Square. And I went down to see it, and, and at the end of the movie, they said, anyone who's connected with the film, come out on stage. Well, of course, that was done so long ago. Lots of the crew working on it were so ancient because I was... <laughs> I was obviously in my 50s when I was down there, but they were some of them were 50 probably when they were filming it. So, that you know, everybody on the stage was pretty... I, I, I think I was the youngest person on the stage by far. Um, and um, But everybody just wanted to ask John Landis questions because, he, I mean, he was he was there and he was... Um, taking questions, and I think it was, it was just after Michael Jackson had died, so everybody was just asking him about filming Thriller rather than um, mm-hmm. the American Werewolf. But the funny thing about American Werewolf in London, you know, because it was made uh, 30 years ago, and it, it still actually is really good. You don't think this is a really old movie, it still really holds up, I think. Oh, it's a complete classic, isn't it? Yeah, because there was a, an American I... Werewolf in Paris, but that never yeah. went. Oh, it was it's a terrible film, was that it? isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I I actually didn't know that it was you in that, because your hair's darker, and I'm used to you being blonde. Yes, well, I think that because my hair is a kind of mousy brown, and I've had it blonde now for well, shortly after doing American Werewolf in London, which I think mm. um, when was that done? I think it was about was it filmed in about 1980? I think yeah. 
we didn't know if they were going to kill me off or let me live, I think. So <laughs> I liked the last bit where my eyes opened and he pumped and I just, the last bit before it cuts where I'm actually open my eyes and I'm alive. Um, it was quite strange um, when I was being made up for that because n nobody wanted to sit opposite me and have lunch because I just looked so <laughs> But you look amazing in it, though, with all those there's some nice big ruby bits, jewels. But, yeah, and... that, well, that took ages of But then there's some bits when I, you know, the accident victim and everything. Yeah. Um, I love the bit when I'm under the car and they sit me up and they cut the um, dress off and the blood all, and, and all <laughs> runs down. I thought that was a really nice sort of... Uh, I was claustrophobic lead under that car as well. I was kind of yeah. scared. They led into a car that's on fire with someone who suffers from claustrophobia. Oh, no. <laughs> I, know, I, I did it okay, though. Yeah, it was, uh, it was okay. Oh, yeah. it's, I mean, it's a wonderful-looking scene, isn't it? All, all the way through with the music and the visuals, everything about it is just fantastic. Yeah, it is wonderful. It's, it's funny because when I had some sort of little floaty nightdress thing on and Ken Russell had ordered it from Harrods, so I had to go to Harrods to pick it up. But I'd never been in Harrods before. And as I walked into Harrods, they said, is your name Lindsay Drew? And I said, yeah, we've got Ken Russell on the phone for you. So I actually walked into Harrods, <laughs> into the department, and they handed me the phone and I had a phone call. I just thought that was so cool. <laughs> and you were, you were with Ken a few times as well because you were in the layer of the white worm. I did. I did the Lair of the White Worm, and I also did um, something called. Uh, you did um, a thing with Melvin Bragg, the A to Z of music, or something. I did, and I had to learn to sword dance for it and stuff. He, he had some very free, freaky ideas. Actually, when Salome's Last Dance opened, um, he had me and the two other girls from um, Salome's Last Dance in an open top car driving through. Uh, less going uh, to the cinema in Leicester Square or Piccadilly with the police escort. We're all we were in topless. We had um, our nipples were painted gold, I think, silver for one scene and gold for another. I can't remember what we did, but he had just, he was a very uh, crazy uh, character. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean because we we love Ken Russell, we, you know. Oh we, yeah. We don't we. Don't, don't. Oh totally, he's completely yeah. bonkers. I the stuff yeah. I've read about him. I'm, because The Devils is one of my favourite films, and knowing that you, you'd worked with him so many times, were, were you were you actually friends with him as no. well? I, no. I, again, I went for an audition. Yeah. I went for an audition at, at London Weekend Television. Uh, I just went for an audition, and that was for some a Southbank show he was doing with Melvin Bragg. And um, you know, I think he kind of liked my attitude. Can you do this? Well, no, but I'll give it a go. And what, what about? <laughs> yeah, I'll give it a go. So then I did. I did the age set of music with, with him, which was quite interesting. And then mm -hmm. Salome's Last Dance and The Lair of the White Worm. Um, yeah, so I, I did a few bits with him. But, you know, but he was very, um, after, you know, he, he was a very nice guy. I would invite you to, to um, the premiere. And, you know, because I only had a very small part in anything that he did, really. But he, apart from Aria, but in the, then after Aria, you know, he was Salome, had a very small part in it, and um, Lair of the White Worm. Um, but he, he would still get all his sort of people who didn't even have really big parts, he'd invite them to the premieres. Mm. So, he was, yeah, he was a very nice guy. Because mm. we were saying today... But your parts may be little, Lindsay, but you definitely stick out in everything you I've seen you in. Thank you. That's a, that, that is a compliment. It's like a, an American werewolf in London. Even though... That's it's like one of the big iconic scenes in the film. I know, yes, everyone remembers that, don't they? Yeah, 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 yeah they do. Yeah, especially because John decided to call me Brenda Bristol's because he knew I was Bristol. <laughs> yeah. Have you got a T-shirt with that on? 
No, I should have, shouldn't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they would sell well. You know they would sell well. If you so, if you yeah. had Brenda Bristol T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Yeah, nowadays, because all those years ago, there wasn't quite the marketing that there is now. Well, there was, but only for, like, band stuff, wasn't there? More? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but everything was so different back then. I mean, we're going to touch on stuff the way, you know, obviously the way the world has changed, the way the internet has changed everything. Um, before we get on to that as well, though, I'm, I'm, I looked, one of the other the other podcasts that I do, 80s Picture House, um, we talked about an album from 1984, Roger Waters' The Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking. And of course, yeah. you're on the cover of it. I am. It's strange because I just came back from Spain uh, yesterday and... Um, I have, you know, you know, they had the massive, it was the cover, but it was also a massive poster campaign around London, you know, the big, they're about, I suppose they're, I don't know, about eight foot tall by about five foot wide, the posters, and they were all around London, because um, it's advertising the Earl's Court show, and you'd either sort of, I'd be driving along London, and I'd see someone had either drawn a penis on it, or something. <laughs> This is disgusting, you know, or I've drawn penises all over between the bum cheeks or whatever, you know. Um, but I was looking at that because I've got it on, I've got that poster blown up on the wall in my house. My house here is way too small to be putting big pictures like that up in my house in Spain. I've got that picture on my wall, actually. I was looking at it yesterday. Yeah, that was a, that was a very, I went for an audition for that as well. I just, you know, went for an audition and got the job. So, um, um, you know, that's that's the way it's always been, I guess, really. And apart from, you know, if I worked for Ken Russell once and I got the job and then he thought it was okay, then he'd just call your agent and, and, and ask for you again, I guess. But for that for that um, poster stroke cover campaign, I just went for an audition um, and um, just felt, just um, was photographed in a studio in, um, in the city somewhere. Yeah. So How do you audition for a poster? Did they... Did they want to see you with, like, no clothes on? Um, if I remember rightly, I think I had to, um, because it was always going to be a back shot, I think I probably had to strip to a G-string and have a Polaroid taken. Yeah, I would think so. Wow. I mean, I used, I've been for auditions before where you have to be naked. Yeah, I mean, we're going back a long time. Now you probably wouldn't be allowed to do that. I don't know. Mm. I, I remember going to for auditions, and um, you you certainly you'd have your portfolio, but if it was for a sort of big calendar, they definitely want to see you topless. Yeah, so I think for that, I don't think I was naked, but I think they wanted to take some Polaroids back shot, you know, um, with a very small thong on and and high heel shoes kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> so yeah, I don't know how many bottoms he saw before he chose mine. <laughs> Well, they, they picked well. I said, I said on that episode that I wasn't a fan of the album, but I love the cover. Yeah, I bought the album, actually. So I didn't like it, no. <laughs> no. It, was, it was a single album, wasn't it? It was just him yeah. and go, going off on I I played it. I don't think I played it more than once. Yes, I did. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't a fan, no. Although I did, I really liked Pink Floyd. But. See, this is in the day as well when album covers really did sell the album. I remember flicking yeah. through records in the store and if you saw a cover you liked, that would sway you to buy it. So. Yeah, I think it would. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Yeah. 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 Your bumps probably sold more Pink Floyd albums than a triangle. Uh, well, yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> side of the moon, that's a very, <laughs> that's a very iconic album, isn't it? But um, yeah. my bum was on that one. There, there was that Queen album, wasn't there? Fat-bottomed girls. Yeah. yeah. That, that, my bum wasn't on there. I think that was just before I started 
Well, nobody <laughs> could accuse you of having a fat arse, Lindsay. No, but, you know, like, they're, they're fat-bottomed girls in the sense that they, you know, like, nice <laughs> big fat bums, but not too fat, I think. It's, you know. <laughs> yeah. So... Going back to your early days then, you got the, the job as page three then. How did your career progress from there when you started going from page three and then you got into the, all the more glamour modelling? Oh, well, I think I, I kind of had an agent and, and, you know, basically you'd go for auditions and stuff. And, and I think the first I, um, the, you know, there's a French photographer came over to the, this country wanted to take some girls abroad, you know, to do stuff for pin-ups and also stuff for magazines. So then my agent said, well, would you do nude? And I thought, well... Yeah, okay, I'll, you know, and I, and I think my first trip was to, um, uh, well, I, I got a trip to the Bahamas to go and do some, some nude modelling, and I thought, yeah, when, whenever am I going to go to the Bahamas otherwise? So, um, <laughs> you know, and it was just like naked beach stuff, and, and so then I sort of started doing quite a lot of glamour modelling then, um, and I got quite sort of well-known for being reliable and being okay, and so... It, you know, I, I spent quite a long time doing sort of pin-up stuff and calendars and men's magazines and, you know, going on trips abroad. I went off to the States and I did Hustler magazine. Um, I ended up doing Hustler magazine because I went to the States with a friend and I was kind of, kind of running out of money. And then somebody came up to me in the street and said, I'm a scout for magazines. Here's my card. Um, so I rang them up and um, they said, I'll come into the office. And yes, would you like to do a centerfold shoot for us? How much does it pay? Yes, I'll do it. And, you know, so things kind of just happened, really. I I, I sort of, um, you know, you, you just start off a career. I mean, I was I was 20 when I started modelling I, properly. You know, I didn't really have much idea. It wasn't something I sort of thought about when I was younger. It just sort of happened for the football club, really. Um, so then when there was the opportunity to travel to some lots of exotic places and just, you know, see the world taking my clothes off I, I, it was something i was quite happy to do um and it was a lot of fun were you really confident even when you were a young girl that that you you felt that you could just you know get your boobs out well, and not i'm not even you really, didn't feel i'm not really a confident person particularly at all yeah. i'm confident of being naked because i yeah. you know um it's just one of those things that I don't really have any problems with nudity or anything mm. like that. So that didn't bother me. But I'm not really that confident. But I mean, mm. I'm confident about being naked. I don't care. You know, it doesn't. You hear that a lot. I know. I know. In the Mary Millington documentary, she comes across as quite a shy person. Yeah, I, I mean, but was sexually liberated and not afraid to, you know. Yeah. get a kit off. I'm so yeah, surprised yeah. how posh she was. Actually, I didn't realize. Yeah. I thought, blimey, she, you know, I really had no idea she was that posh. Um, but, yeah, I don't necessarily think she was com confident, but confident in her sexuality, I think. Mm, yeah. And I was, you know, I was just young and someone offered me to do some work abroad and I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to see if I like it and how I'm treated and how things go. And I was always treated well, didn't have any bad experiences or anything. So I just went with the flow, really, because you do when you're that kind of yeah. age, don't you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And it led on, of course, mm -hmm. as we go through, it ended up with you, you were the editor for the British edition of Penthouse for a good few yes. years as well. Yeah, so so what kind of happened before then was <clears throat> there was a magazine called Club International mm -hmm. um, and the editor of that, a guy called David Dimmock, who was, I used to do lots of work for that, lots of editorial stuff. So I'd do some sets and stuff for them. But if they wanted to, you know, write a piece and then illustrate it, 
I happened to do quite a lot of stuff um, in that in that way. And um, then David Dimmock came to me. He said, "I want to sort of relaunch a kind of like a Fiona Richmond exploits of her. Um, you know, would you put your name to this? I'll get someone to interview you, and um, um, and then you know we'll take a photo session and run it monthly." And I said, "Yes, fine." So anyway, they sent this guy along to interview me, but he was kind of like a sergeant major type, and he was. About I reckon he was about 45, something like that, 50, which to me at 20 seemed very <laughs> old. Now it's a, a mere youngster. Um, and um, so he interviewed me and I wrote this copy and I just looked at it and I just thought that really doesn't sound like a young girl talking at all. So I, I said mm -hmm. to David, I said, can I have a go at doing it? And he said, yeah, OK, if you think so. We want 2,000 words and do them by Friday. And I actually sat down and wrote it and... and I thought, oh, this is quite good. So I, I sort of used the template, what this guy, I think his name was Brian, had done, sort of, you know, looked at the way paragraphs and how long it needed to be and everything. So I just had a go at myself, sent it off to the editor, and he said, oh, yeah, that's great. So then I started writing it myself, and then I started doing other bits and pieces for the magazines, if the editorial pictures, and then I often was writing um, as well. Which is really weird because, you know, I, I've just written this book, which is, you know, I don't quite know how I fell into that either, really, writing, basically, just because someone else wrote as a model and it didn't sound like a young girl, so I did it myself. And um, and then that kind of, I, I was writing for Club International for about three years, I think, and then um, I got a call from the one of the guys from Penthouse and said, come in and see me, and... Um, I went in to see them and they offered me a job. I was I, I was long with another editor, a lady called Isabel Kaposky, who sort of, you know, held it all together, as it were. But, you know, I was doing a lot of writing and, and sorting out the shoots with the photographers because it was quite a time then we were booking a lot of page three girls um, with Penthouse, you know, because uh, the UK edition of Penthouse gets some content from America and then we would shoot some of our own. Um, so, yeah, so I got kind of headhunted by Penthouse after I'd been working for Club International for about three or four years, which was one of um, Paul Raymond's magazines. So. And this is a time mm. when, uh, I mean, magazines, the glamour magazines, were just like really big sellers as well. You know, oh, again, pr pre-internet, yeah. of course. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes, definitely. Yeah, they were really big sellers. I mean, um, I think... I mean, I don't know that Penthouse was a, a, a huge seller because I think it was like Fiesta that was a really big seller um, because it was a bit more down to earth, I think. So, so Penthouse was 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 um, a bit more glossy, you know, and had articles on things like cars and stuff. And but I think the English buying or the British buying public actually kind of sometimes preferred the sort of uh, Fiesta magazines that were a bit more sort of. They weren't any raunchier, but they're a bit more like down with the lads, I think. Mm. I can sort of vaguely remember them. Can you? Um, yeah. I, well, it's a story that I that I told you in an email, Lindsay, from when I was a little girl. Well, oh, not that little. When I was about yes, yes, you're yeah. Right. When I was about about eight or ten, um, I was in my bedroom playing with my next door neighbour, Paula. And don't know, we were rolling about on the bed and the mattress moved and there was an array of porn mags <laughs> that we'd never seen before. My dad, God love him. He, he, was, hid, he, was, he hid them. Was it under your bed? He hid them <laughs> under my bed. Yeah. And, uh, and it was quite um, 
quite an awakening for me to look at all those books because nobody ever told me that they were wrong or that they were rude. And it was really good to see women's books because there were no men in them. There was never men. It was all women. Yeah. But um, I'm sure Dave also has experience with porn mags that you probably found in a hedge, didn't you, Dave? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, that was... was, It was now like you've got the internet and you you press a button on your smartphone and you've got porn there. It was like the holy... Train times, it says, did you mean porn? No, I meant train times. I'd say it was oh, it was always you found them in like a carrier bag, a bundle of them under a hedge and so oh, on. Really? Yeah, loads of times. And it was like and again because of of how difficult it was to get them, um well it's still it must have been late seventies, early eighties at school. Uh me and a friend, we got this lad who would pinch pinch them all from the local garage he would give them to us we would quality control them for a few days yeah, <laughs> and, then, the and then we'd then we'd sell them we'd sell them on and make a oh, profit yeah, i've got to say don't dump them on the head it's oh no very good very good uh finance there really yeah. <laughs> but it was it was it was such a different time you know even though we're not going back too long it was such a different time and attitudes were different as well um i, I suppose i was in them in the well, I mean, I was in them in the... I actually did a magazine set for Fiesta when I was 40, and I also did one for another magazine, uh, one of John Graham's Big Boob magazines when I was about 40. So I, uh, you know, um, and I'm 58 now, so 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I was still doing them right at the end of the night. Well, not doing them, right at the end of the century, I did do one. Somebody, when it came to my... The, the same editor from Fiesta gave me a call when I turned 50, he didn't say what it was about, but I think he wanted me to do a, a magazine set of 50. And I, I rang him back and he didn't pick up. And I just said, if it's, if it's you're asking me to do a magazine set of 50, I'm not going to. So <laughs> if you have is anything else, but if it's not, the answer is no. I thought, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Not at 50. I, I don't want to see which bits are not holding up too well. So. <laughs> One of the things that was brought up, though, in the, again, just touching on that Mary Millington documentary, was like we said, the the attitude, people's attitude to pornography back then was was so different now. I mean, it's still people are still not really open to it. Well, I won't admit to be open to it, but the, you know, people were really vilified back then for if they got yeah. any connections to it, which is yeah. ridiculous. Oh, now it's kind of. Um... You know, like stand-up comedians are always making jokes about it, and aren't they? I mean, it's just like part of life. And I think, especially in somewhere sort of, you know, maybe down in sort of, I don't know, sleepy little villages. But where I live, you know, I, I people know my background, and nobody takes any notice really. And um, it's you know, uh, the porn magazines or pin-up stuff, or you know, it's just something that people just take as a part of everyone's life who wants it, you know, kind of. Mm. But then it was very different, yeah. I mean, um, I, I, I don't remember times when it wasn't on the top shelf. I mean, my first sort of uh, experience of it is when it was up on the top shelf, really, poor, and I suppose that was kind of in the, in the early 80s, I guess. Yeah, that's when I kind of started doing it, yeah. What did you... What did your parents think about you being a glamour model? I remember. I remember it was kind of funny because actually, the um, the first nude modelling thing I did do it wasn't the Bahamas. Another job came up, and it was actually for Penthouse. Um, and 
the, the, there was the editor then wanted to do something diary of a secretary because a lot of guys have fantasies about secretaries. <laughs> yeah. So, so he photographed me starting out on Barnes Station, you know, getting on the because it's a very pretty station at Barnes um, in southwest London, and um, getting on the the train, you know, touch a stocking top show and all this sort of thing, and right through to in the end, I'm led naked on the desk with the telephone wire around me, kind of thing. <laughs> I remember. I, I had this job, and then my dad said to me, oh, you know, some of the neighbours have talked and said you're, you know, in, in Penthouse magazine or something. Because I did mm. say, I said, well, I told you, Dad, I had this modelling job, and it was like 500 quid for a day's work, and you said, oh, lovely. But he didn't really mm. ask what it was. Um, and um, and I said, look, you know, it's it's something that I've done. It was an afternoon, it was a day's work. It was nothing wrong with it. Nobody was unpleasant to me. No one tried to jump on me. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just, you know, nakedness and, you know, I'm sorry if you, you know, don't like it, but I'm not doing anything wrong, Dad, and this is what I'm kind of going to do. And he sort of said, yeah, all right then. So that was kind of it. Really. Oh, that's really great, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think he really thought about it much after that because yeah. um, I do think, you know, I think if you're like making porno films all the time and, and you know, they're all over the internet, um, you know, which things are, once they're on the internet, they're forever. But, you know, and I've actually got nearly all the magazines I ever had. I mean, they're all stacked up in my garage. They're probably going a bit mouldy by now. But <laughs> because we sell all these magazines on the internet, you know, I, I see some of these copies, you know, like buy a copy of Penthouse with Lindsay Drew and, and um, Debbie Ashby in, and they're going for quite good money and stuff. But mm -hmm. I think, you know... Um, my dad just thought, well, she's quite sensible, my daughter. She mm -hmm. was going to get her in trouble. And I was quite sensible. Um, and, and so, you know, um, they, they, my mum and my dad just kind of accepted it. And we didn't really sort of, you know, go into it. I'd show mum my pictures, my portfolio, things like that, you know, and, and it was fine. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it's it's pretty obvious from the career that you've had and actually talking to you briefly now, I think one of your secrets is that, is that you are sensible and that's why you've lasted. Yes, and, I, am, uh, I am sensible, actually. I, my, I remember my friend, she said, you know, trouble with you, Lindsay, when you go out and have a drink, you know, you always know when to stop. And I'm like, yeah, just before I fall <laughs> over, I'll stop, whereas you'll carry on and you'll fall over. So, um, yeah, so I, I think... And also, I think I just got on well because I was pretty reliable. I'd always turn up with the clothes they told me to bring, and I'd, you know, make sure my, you know, my nails were done and everything like that. And then I suppose it's a bit, you know, is it? I was kind of was an easy option. I also got lots of kind of bit parts on television because I was tall, blonde, long legs, and a big bust. And every time my I had this sort of little acting agent, though I can, you know, you know, every time they wanted a stripper on the bill or EastEnders or someone, they oh. <laughs> They only used to send me for the audition, and like, <laughs> they, they, they'd give the sec they'd send a few more if I didn't get it. So I was quite lucky because I was, you know, when you think of in some sort of TV show, they have a kissogram like they used to, or a stripper, and they you, you you think of the sort of stereotypical sort of leggy blonde with big boobs. Then they, my agent used to just send me, so I've got the job, so it's quite good. <laughs> Yeah, and we were looking at a clip of you with Spike Milligan, one of our heroes. Oh, God, yeah, there's a lot of it about, yes. Which clip were you looking at? Uh, money's shooting out of a cash yeah, point. I've seen that on the internet. Yeah, we, I go up to the cash point and yeah. I open my jacket and shirt my boobs so <laughs> yeah. all the money comes out. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's on the internet, isn't it? Because I, I went away to, um, this is a five-star hotel in Turkey, I can't think of what it's called, is it the Imperial? 
and I went to the Imperial and did quite a lot of um, various. He did he did this very funny sketch where it was like um, taking the Mickey out of a David Attenborough, you know, um, how 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 he travels around the world, expenses and you know in the expenses he always had me in a different bikini on his arm, <laughs> and there's me led in the bed next to him or you know so I did. Lots of, um, I think I only did um, one series, but it was, uh, I, I was in lots of his sketches, yeah. Well, what was it like working with Spike Milligan then? Um, well, I, I actually, he's one of these people who, he just tells jokes all the time, and whether they're funny or not, all the people around him just laughed. You know what I mean? He did have a bit of the cronies who would just laugh at everything he did, you know, everything he did or everything he said. There was just a group of people following him around laughing, so... Um, <laughs> And I, I mean, I'd never, I hadn't done much acting or anything like that. So it was kind of a, you know, it was a very new experience for me. But I do just remember that <clears throat> whether he was funny or not, everyone just laughed at him because he was just sort of massive, you know, uh, you know, people go back now, the comedians of today say, you know, that he's been an inspiration to them, uh, you know, so he's, he's one of the greats, isn't he? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely is. It's interesting as well, you mentioned about the conversation that you had um, with your dad and that when you found out, you know, when you, you first started modelling. And, yeah. And, but you've had it from the other side now a couple of years ago because, of course, your son Tigre did the documentary that both uh, myself and Tina watched yeah. where he talked to you and Simon about both of your, you know, your, um, your work within the industry. So what was it like sort of coming at it from that end and you got your son questioning you? Well, I mean, to be honest, I mean, it, it was... One of those things that, um, I mean, uh, with Tiger, I've sort of told him stuff that I've done and, of course, anything that I've done is probably on the internet anyway. Um, and um, it was fine, actually. I mean, it was absolutely fine. I don't think I was in it. His dad was in it quite a lot, actually. I think I managed to not be in it too much because <laughs> I don't really do that much now. Um, but it was fine, you know. And actually, Tiger's one of, you know, because it always says, you know, um, your mum and dad are porn stars, and he says, "Yeah, my mum wasn't actually a porn star. She was a she was a nude model, actually." So he always comes up with that. <laughs> oh, thanks for that, Ty. But you know, I mean, the, the stuff he's done now. I mean, he did a documentary recently where they took him off to the states and Canada, and and, and he was having sex with a machine. Um, <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, back sack a back sacking crack, like, <laughs> yeah, dressing up as a woman, taping his nuts up. I mean, yeah. <laughs> And it was funny. Did you see the one where he was dressed as a woman? Yeah, I did. I did, and and he's so good. It was so. But you know, he he turned up in Manchester, and they said, "Oh, we're going to go and meet up with some drags." And and you know, and I said, "How long before you had to drag up? Did they actually tell you?" He said, "Oh, day before." He had no idea that he was going to have to drag up and actually perform on in a nightclub in Manchester at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and he just goes along with it. Yeah. So. Um, well, he's he's another testament to you as well, you know, um, for being a great mum. That I'm sure a lot of people, knowing what your background is, would probably think that, um, you know, it'd be really w- weird having kids, and you know, you've had this, uh, you know, you take your clothes off, and you've been in like porn films or whatever, and his dad. And then everything, every time I've seen Tiger on TV or read things about him, everyone says, and he just looks like such a really nice lad yeah, and sensible. Yeah, well, he, I'm not sure about sensible. Actually, just <laughs> his teenage, we've had a few difficult teenage years, but don't you all? Um, oh, yeah. But no, you know, he's, he's, um, 
he's a bit like me, just gets on and does it, I think, you know. I mean, the time when he was doing his documentaries, I mean, one day he, I, I think he started, he texted me and he like, he was on, called for six o'clock in the morning. And that night after he did that, the, the, the dragging up thing, I think he got back into bed ten past five. So he did like a, he did like a 23 hour day one day. So, I mean, it was just madness, really. Um, but he, he um, I think I think he accepts that he's very lucky to have been given that opportunity and you know you want to do it kind of the best you can really so um, so I, I, I was actually sat on my computer writing my book and um, Tiger sent me a text it was hey mum I'm just gonna have a back sack and crack and I thought <laughs> how, many, how, many how many children will be when they're like 18 years of age, hey mum, I'm just about to have a back <laughs> I just texted him back, oh lovely. <laughs> hope it goes well. <laughs> yeah. who'd, who'd have thought that little boy that we saw in Outnumbered is there getting a back second crack? <laughs> yeah, they're doing a Christmas special soon. so that'll oh, I'll be good. Yeah. Oh, excellent. I, I had a fantastic experience when, when Tiger got that job and, you know, I chaperoned him until he was 16 doing that. And even on the last series, when I didn't need to chaperone him because he was old enough, they gave me a job as his driver because they, they're like a family, it was like a family. So I'm really kind of looking forward to when they, they're filming in November. So I'm looking forward to seeing everyone. I'm quite good friends with the mums of the other two children as well. All right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. You must be- are, you, are you Tiger's manager? Well, not really. I kind of do his PA. I'm a bit of his PA, really, to be honest. Yeah. I just, yeah. Yeah, no, he's he's got a, um agent, strength managers and stuff. So, um, but I kind of recently he's doing more of sorting things out himself. But then if he's on a job, you know, while you're on a job, you have your phone switched off, you can't negotiate, sort out the next thing. So his agents will talk to me, and I'll kind of think, yeah. So I'm sometimes a bit of a go-between. So I kind of call it a bit like a personal assistant, really. Mm. Yeah, you must have been very proud of him. I am very proud of him. Yes. Yeah, he's good. He's he's, he's doing so well. So he's, he's he's got that thing about him as well. He's just so watchable when he's on screen as well. You know, some people have got it, and some people haven't, and he's definitely got uh, it. No, he's um, we, I, he's he's um, I went to see. He was doing Citizen Khan. Have you ever seen that? So yeah, yeah. He had a part in that. He was the eldest daughter's um, non-Muslim boyfriend, and I went to watch him film that live and. And it was quite funny because they um, he had to speak Urdu in it, and like he got a massive <laughs> round of applause because he'd learned this line in Urdu. <laughs> that was rather nice seeing him, you know, in front of a live studio audience. And then they've written him into the next series, so he's got a couple. He's got. They, they didn't get rid of him as a boyfriend, so he's he's coming back. So they'll be filming that in front of a live studio audience. So I like to go along and see these things because you miss them. They're gone, you know. Really, with kids, it's sort mm-hmm. of, you know, if you, you type, it's just one of those things. If, if you've got the time to do it, it's it's always nice to do. So I do try to go and see stuff that he does. Oh, excellent! Now I want to get onto writing, and I want to start in 1993 because you published an autobiography that has got the yeah. best title ever, yeah. and I'm going to read it out for the for the yeah. listeners because it's called. Try everything once, except incest and Morris dancing. The intimate autobiography <laughs> of a dangerous lady. What a title! <laughs> I know, well, actually, John Blake, my publisher, came up with that because he was just going to call it incest and Morris dancing. Can't <laughs> <laughs> call it incest and Morris dancing, and then so he he put the try everything once except on there at my uh, 
by request, actually. But um, yeah, so I, I, it's funny because I wrote that. I actually got two book deals within about two days of each other, and I just, how am I going to do this? But I, I did, and, and one was just a, I, I just published a letters, letters to Lindsay book. Um, Oh, no, it wasn't. It was I did a, I did a, a pleasure guide. That's right. So I did the two, but I did one and then went straight on to the next one. Um, yeah. So I actually, I, I, I. That was. I don't know if that was my first book, but it's my. Um, obviously, it was an autobiography. So um, you know, that was that was kind of interesting writing that. Yeah. <laughs> was there any sort of decision making of you know maybe I should leave this out or? Oh yeah, there was a, the decision making. Should I leave it out? And I did leave a few things out. I think really, um, just because uh, you know you do, you just kind of do. But I did put, put most of the stuff in. Um, it was I mean I, I wrote the book because I um, I'd gone to prison for being in possession of obscene material for gain. My ex partner he had a like a, a mail order company selling. Um, adult stuff and I kind of helped him I wrote the the blogs and all that sort of thing for him so you know I we got made an example of and went to prison I, I'm sure you know this don't you oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, um, so it was kind of like I just thought it was you know that was the kind of time to do it and actually sitting down writing about you know the day in court at Guildford Crown Court and it was quite cathartic it actually felt quite good now, because I wouldn't remember that time at all, but if I actually sit down and read three or four of the chapters, it, t it kind of reminds me of a time where, you know, you look back on it. I only served, I was in prison for nine weeks, so, I mean, it's not a huge chunk of your life. It's not a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, it, it kind of um, it kind of makes you stronger, really. You've dealt with it, you've had to do it, you've dealt with it and moved on kind of thing. So it was when I came out... From prison, that's when I, I decided to write an autobiography. And um, Blake Publishing, uh, I don't know how I knew John Blake, but anyway, maybe I, I thought oh, I, I started to write a novel then, and I'd actually sent it. That's right, I'd sent this novel off to Blake Publishing, um, and he said, oh, I'm not sure. He said, But what about doing your autobiography? So I said, Yeah, okay. And that, that's, it was sort of after I'd come out of prison. So, you know, I think that was. Uh, the, something a bit interesting to set me aside from normal models, I guess, that I'd actually gone to prison for porn, really. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, I, I was reading some of it the other day, actually. I don't know why. Um, it's kind of, it's not bad, actually. I, I think it got to number 37 in the uh, bestsellers list, and, and the Times did a really good review of it, actually, in the Sunday mm -hmm. Times review, yeah. But I look at it now, it's very you know, I, very overwritten. I, I, I have to reel myself in when I'm writing. You know, <laughs> you know instead of using sort of seven words to describe something, I stick to one or two, you know. I, I tend to try and go a bit mad. And I notice that book's a bit like that. So the, the book I've written recently, I've, I've reeled that in a bit, yeah. Has writing always been like a passion of yours then? Is that something you've, you've always wanted to get more into? No, not really. It's kind of funny. I, um, as I said, I just started doing it for the, the, this column I did in Club International when I was about 22. And then basically after that, you know, when I went to Penthouse um, and then I did a few, few books and then I always, you know, just wrote when somebody asked me to, you know, I wrote for a lot, quite a lot. There's a magazine called Desire I used to write for. I used to just write for the men's mags because they give me a job to do it and it's something I could do and I could do quite easily um, and then I haven't then I haven't written anything for quite a long time um, 
And um, I kind of read Fifty Shades and I just thought, well, I think I could do that. I'm going to have a go writing a, a novel. I've always wanted to, you know, I think people always think, you know, I'd like to write a novel to see if I can actually do it. Um, and um, so I sat down to do it and it was a lot harder than I thought it was because what I found was, you know, when you're writing something, it's like 80,000 words, you know, word one and word 79,999. <laughs> you've got to keep everything, all the characters, and it's, it's okay with the big characters because you remember you know, their eye colours, what watch they wear, what car they drive. But when you start going to the smaller characters and you haven't written about them for three months, you know, you've got to make sure everything works, you know, that, that you haven't sort of slipped up somewhere, you know, and it's a long process, you know, it's probably a, like a nine month, I would say, for me to write a book, it takes about nine months, so, you know, sometimes you, you haven't looked at chapter seven, I, I mean, I do keep going back and forth all the time, because if, I, if I've had a few, you know, I've had a week off not writing, I will read the whole book from beginning to where I am now, because I'm actually writing the second book and I've very nearly finished the sequel to the book I've got out now. Um, but I've had I've been away for a week, so I need to sort of reread everything I've written before I carry on. And now I'm on the last fifteen thousand words, which is pulling the whole story together for the ending. So um, I need to do that before I. Um... What's your new book called, Lindsay? I haven't got a title for my new book yet. My my first book is called Every Shade of Blue. And that kind of came to me. It had a different title right up to a few days before it got signed off, really. And I was doing my last edit, and there's a character in my book um, called Sebastian who's got very blue eyes and black hair, which is just my type. Yeah. As you'd always find yeah. your type, wouldn't you? And, <laughs> and he had really, really blue eyes. So he always used to wear really blue, and people with really blue eyes when they wear blue, because I always used to do this with Tiger when he's a little boy. He's got very blue eyes, so I'd always dress him in blue. Um, so, so this this um, Sebastian, he always wears blue, and, and I was, I'm, when you're writing, you're trying to think of a different way to say, you know, blue, you know, and then you go through synonyms and you, you go through everything to try and think of it. And then when I was editing, I thought, bloody hell, I've come up with every single shade of blue in this book, haven't <laughs> I? And I thought, why don't I do that? There's also, there's also a character in there called Angelo Azzurro, which Azzurro is blue in Italian anyway, so I thought, why didn't I think of that? Uh, and obviously... Mm -hmm who's got the connotation of being blue, rude. So um, so I changed that right at the last minute. But at the moment, the second one is still being called Every Shade of Blue 2, which it won't be, but I haven't got a title for it as yet. So We've had fantastic reviews for your book. Yeah. I, I, I amazing. Reviews. Yeah, I, I was, when I was in Spain recently, a friend uh, was there and I gave her the book and I thought, and I'd never actually sort of been with someone while they're reading my book. You know, I, I've had friends <laughs> who've read it and they keep, and they texted me and said, oh, that restaurant, the White House, why don't we go there? And I'm like, it doesn't exist, I made it up. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this one friend, you know, she was sat there by the pool reading it while I was sat there reading another book. And, um, oh, I love this bit, oh, I love this bit. And she read it in like two days. And that's quite good. Most people who's actually, who have actually talked to me about friends that have read it, you know, they told me how quickly they read it because they, mm. I, I read a lot of books myself and I like to sort of end, end chapters on a, a sort of hanger so you go on to the next one really and I think that's why I, I did manage to do everyone said like and, and I like short chapters I don't like chapters that you know think should I just read one more chapter oh it's like 19 pages no, I'm not going to read that oh six, six pages you know let's you know because I think my book's got about 60 chapters in and it's a sort of 350 page book you know because I kind of like quite short chapters they keep me interested keep me reading so I kind of 
um, you know, did that when I when I decided to write the book. So, um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's um, it's it's been well received. So yeah. Well, anybody who's listening to the podcast, who who who's interested in Lindsay's book, if you go on Amazon and look for it, you can read a little bit of it and there's just just a a little bit of rudeness in it that certainly got me sitting on a towel (laughs) (laughs) yes i I did i did start the i did start the sexiness quite early on i think it's because a lot of people say i'm going on holiday and i said yeah start reading it on the plane because it's five page five um and it's on a plane so um and I keep, I keep. Is it really hard to write sex scenes? No, I do. You, do you do you sit there and and think? Do you sort of imagine the scene in your head and then write it out? Well, what I do, I get it all down as fast as I can. I literally type it really, really fast, um, and then I go back and kind of intent make it more intense. So I go back and I add, you know, because I think. It's not about what you see, it's about what you feel and what you mm. taste. So then I go back and say, you know, his tongue tasted of licorice or, you know, or his hair smelled of sort of um, fruits of the forest shampoo, you know, not that, but just going back and making it mm-hmm. more intense and just swapping words around because when you're writing something down, you know, there's only so many ways to say, you know, how somebody kisses you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if you go back and you think, well, actually, that's a bit more intense, you know, breathless and add this and add that. So I do spend a lot of time just when I do write a sex scene, um, getting it down, knowing what, where they're going to do it, who it's going to be involved, and then I go back and make it more intense. But sometimes I, I have um, been sort of thinking, would that sexual position actually work? So I'm actually on the floor in my office with one leg here and one leg there. You know, because you said, you know, he was holding on to her heel or something, you know, and you think, actually, would that work? Because someone's leg, you know, so I have had um, occasions where I've been rolling around on the floor of my office, getting into these sexual positions to see how someone would come in and, you know, stop the thing. As yeah, soon but... as this goes out, I bet you anything, we have at least 10 emails off different men saying, we've got any photos of Lindsay in those positions? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Probably, probably <laughs> wouldn't want to see that. I'm probably doing them and then the dog's running around thinking, what's she doing on the floor? <laughs> I'll go and lick her ear. <laughs> get away, get away. Yeah, so, um, also, the other thing is, you know, I, 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 I kind of wrote most of them while I was in a relationship with someone and now I'm not in a relationship with someone. I'm thinking, blimey. I've got to keep, got to have a good memory, really. Otherwise, I'm, I forget. But I've got good memory, so it's all right. How do you how do you go about structuring the story then? When you first started, you think, right, I'm going to write the book. How, what notes did you put? Do you start with characters? Do you go, oh, I want well, this I, story to be told? Or oh, I think I was terrible when I started. I, I had no, you know the the second book now. I I've got the beginning, middle, and the end. Although it's all tied together. When I started the first book, I had no idea what I was doing really. I just sat back and started writing. Um, and so when I finished it and gave it to my literary agent, he said, "Oh, don't like this. Don't like that. Don't like that. Love this. Love this." And and then so I actually then went away and did a massive re-edit that took me another three months because. You know, I, I've heard a lot of sort of first-time novelists say that type of thing. Unless you know where it's going, you can waste so much time. So I would always advise someone to, like, really structure it and really spend a lot of time before you even write anything, you know, rather than... I, I mean, I came up with my characters, but I didn't quite know how... I've got, like, a dark character and a, a, a good character, men-wise, in my first book. And... Um, 
I had too much of the dark character and I think my literary agent said so that, that was what I had to change so I, I took a lot longer writing the first one than I would the second one because of the fact that I sort of kind of lost my way a bit didn't know where I was going but just carried on regardless really yeah um, so, but, so when Hollywood make the film of it who would you like to play the parts of the three lead characters I don't know I, I um uh, I think um, Aidan Turner could be Sebastian Black. He'd Ooh, have, nice choice. Yeah, he'd have to get blue contacts because he's got brown eyes, doesn't he? But he's about yeah. six foot uh, and he's about mm. he's a little bit young. I think he's 32, but he could be our yeah. Sebastian's 36. Girl-wise, I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, but, mm. And I don't know who'd play Angelo Ziora either, but Aidan Turner could definitely be the... Um, he could be mm. the, the mm. gorgeous one in it, yeah. It would be really good if they did make a, a film of it because I think Fifty Shades of Grey is just... I I did watch it. I've never read the book, but, oh, God, it's painfully bad. I, I didn't like it at all. I, I read the first book and I thought the first book was great. I thought it was a fantastic plot, the contract and everything. Then I think the second one, I think really it was... Uh, you know, I just think a lot of people say the same thing. Love the first one. The second one's OK. They probably... Maybe maybe two would have been enough, I don't know. Mm. Um, but I think what the problem was with the film, I just don't... I think Jamie Doran is really... I saw him on Gogglebox, Celebrity Gogglebox the other day, and he's, like, so hot. But in that <laughs> film, I just don't think it worked because I think, you know, if you read that Fifty Shades, the first one, I think it's, like, about 500 pages. So to read a 500-page book, it's probably about 10 hours, isn't it, solid? Mm, yeah. And they, then they cut that down to two hours, and, of course... You don't get any background of the the, the grey character, so you, you just have... Uh, he just seems a bit like a nasty piece of work when he's doing any sort of bondage mm. stuff, rather than get, getting any empathy with him or whatever. Um, and, and I went to see it. There's a local cinema near where I live that they've got these sort of independent cinemas where you go and there's sofas and you can take your bottle of Prosecco in. Oh. It's lovely. There's, there's one in Isha and one in Walton-on-Thames near where I live. And... Um, I, I went with the guy I, I was uh, seeing at the time, and um, afterwards I thought, right, I'm going to go to the ladies' toilet and do a little poll of everyone, because neither mm. of us liked it. And um, and all the ladies coming out the toilet, did you like it? No. I, I, there was 12 people I asked, not one single person had mm. enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Um, but I think it was the biggest film of last year, wasn't it? So It was massive, because women of our... Because I'm 51, my age, um, sort of that's... But they never go to the cinema, no. but that made them go. But yeah. watching the film, the, the sex in it was so bloody boring. Yeah, it just didn't sort of it yeah. didn't work, and and there wasn't even much in it, really, was there? No, nothing. And nothing. I, I think the trailer. You saw the trailer. The best bit of the whole lot mm. was a bit of intenseness in the trailer. I think you know. Yeah, that, yeah, really. Yeah. I well, fingers crossed they make your book then, Lindsay. Lovely love if they do. I'll be there as exec producer on set. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've got the experience. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Um, yeah, so, I mean, as I say, I don't, I, I mean, I'm sure it won't do, but if it did, I'd like, um, by the time they do, Aidan Turner would be a bit, little bit older, but as long as he's not made the new Bond, because then he'll be way out of, way out of it, won't he, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what's the what's the future hold for you now, Lindsay? Are you planning any, any more books or what's, oh, what have you yeah, got in store? I've, ne I've nearly finished the sequel now, so I've got to probably finish a couple of months um, on that and I should be finished with that. So uh, the only thing is it'll be kind of the same deal coming out at Christmas and I really would like to get my book out as a summer book because I think it's, you know, it's a summer read really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
electricity wise it would be better so I think I'll just get it finished and see what happens really um, I'm planning to just have a bit of time off this summer few holidays and um, just the, the, the nice thing about writing you know you can take your laptop with you and just just do it as and when you want to really so um, yeah it's it's something that I really want to to I want because this is two stories you know every shade of blue and every shade of blue too that's that story done you know and then I want to move on to something else and I might write something I, I want to write a thriller not necessarily a sexy thriller um, you know because mine is a thriller I think but with you know, lots and lots of sex in it. Um, but I do read a lot of books that are just thrillers, and um, I've got some some sort of ideas. But I need to get the second book done, so that's that's done. You know, I've been working on the two of them quite a long time. So um, I think now I'd like to to do you know a, a sort of who done it um, would be something that I'd like to do when I finish my second erotic thriller. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all the links. Uh where people can buy the book obviously we'll put up on our website on the, the notes for this show of course what's the best way that people can follow you online and keep up to date with everything that you're doing um well i, I am on i am on twitter and um under my name lindsay drew honey and i am facebook under lindsay drew honey so you the, need a website lindsay i know do you not do you not i you have, really do do i can sit down and write books but as i said i'm such a blooming technophobe i need to set up i did an interview for a guy called Paul Teague recently and he told me how to do it on Skype he said this is how you should do it and set up your own website and I just haven't done it I really should I'm really bad at that actually. I'm really... Dave will come round and do it for yeah. you yeah. I'm just useless I have to be setting stuff up like that you know I really um, I'm just 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 haven't done it but I should do it that's right I'm going to do it next week I'm going to do it next right. week <laughs> We'll be watching out for it. You'll have to yeah, let us know. Because I, I said, I got when I did my last Skype interview several months ago, um, a, a guy said, look, this is an easy link. He said, I set up this, this um, so so easy to set up your own website. And I've got lots of pictures I could put on there and, you know, stuff like reviews I could put on there. So I should do it, yeah. I mean, I keep thinking, well, I'll get the second book finished and then I'll go mad and do all this publicity. But I should do it now while the first book's out, shouldn't I? Well, yeah. the thing is with you, you've had such an, an incredibly interesting life and you're, you're a British woman as well. And it's, I think it's really rare for, for a lady from Britain who's, who's had such an amazing life and done so many different things. Yeah, no, but, I have when you look back at it, really. Oh, with, yeah, uh, yeah. The modelling and the acting and then, you know, with, with then writing for magazines and becoming an editor of a magazine and, and then actually writing a novel. Um, yeah, so I, um, I, should, I should be promoting it a little bit more and stop writing and get on with promoting the first one instead of trying to finish the second one. It's, the thing is, it's very time-consuming in writing, that's the thing. You can't, sometimes you sit down and do 3,000 words easily and other times you sit there and struggle to do 1,000, I think. So, um, you know. Well, I'd like to see you in some more TV as well. Yeah, because yeah, I because I'm sort of I'm just a couple of years younger than you, but I, I feel quite starstruck talking to you because you're one lady that's always sort of been in my life that I've uh, I know what you look like and I know what you've been in and I've I've always thought you were brilliant. <laughs> very well. That's very sweet, Tina. Thank you. Oh no, I, I mean you. it. I'm sure, you're gorgeous, but I can't see you at all. I can see Dave. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us tonight, Lindsay. It's been it's been so good to have this chat with you. 
Thank Lovely. you for giving Thanks this time. Um, we're going to look out for this with this website now. You do know we're going to be on to you about it. Yeah, nagging, <laughs> it's nagging. That's what I need. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Lindsay. Bye-bye. Thank you very Bye. much, Dave. Thank you very much, Tina. Bye. Bye, Bye Lindsay. Bye. Bye. The alarm bell again means it's the end of another show. Please visit the website where you'll find all the details of how to find uh, Lindsay on there on via social media. Make sure to buy a book too. The website that you need to visit is, of course, 60minuteswith.co.uk. There's a contact us form on there should you wish to email us or you can email us direct, which is contact at 60minuteswith.co.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash 60minuteswith. And we're on Twitter and Instagram at 60minuteswith. And surely I don't need to say any more. It's the numerical 60, not the alphabetical one. Well, that's all that remains now is to say whoever you are, wherever you are, Thanks for listening, and we'll be back again soon.